God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, just the gift that we have of your son. God, we just, we praise you this morning. We, uh, we come together during this Advent, this week four of Advent, the week of love, and we just, we celebrate the love that we receive through your son Jesus as he comes. God, we've, we've witnessed just even our kids come and sing and come and read, and it's been a blessing already this morning. God, I just pray that you would, you would continue to bless us through your word this morning. You'd continue to speak to us through your word. Would you speak through me this morning? Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, it's a family service, so I'm going to say the one thing that everybody hates when pastors say I'm going to try and keep this short, all right? Uh, <laughs> we'll see if that actually works. I don't know if I've ever seen a pastor say that and actually do it, but uh, I'm going to try. Steve, have you ever, has it ever worked for you? Have you ever been able to? No? Yeah, me either. Yeah, me either. But we're going to try, all right? So, uh, but we've been, we've kind of been in this series here of just kind of walking through the Old Testament, looking at Advent, looking at the coming Messiah. What is the Old Testament what does it say to us? What, is it, what does it look towards? How, how, does this, how does the Old Testament speak to what is coming with Jesus Christ? And so far, we've spent three weeks in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, we looked at the promise of the coming Messiah, that this son would be born. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and that the, the will, the zeal of the Lord Almighty would accomplish this, right? That God himself was going to make sure that this son would be given, that the Messiah would come. And we see that in Jesus, right? Two chapters later in Isaiah chapter 11, we see kind of some of the markings of the Messiah. What is this Messiah's life going to look like? We have kind of this promise of the Messiah's life, that the Messiah would, would be one who, who has the Holy Spirit, one who contends for the weak and the poor, one who, uh, one who, who loves and lives righteousness. And we see all of that, as we saw in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Jesus Last week, we looked at Isaiah 53 and looked at the promise of, of the Messiah's suffering. Right? We see that the Messiah is going to suffer, that he is going to, to be beaten and whipped and oppressed for our sins. Right? But we see this in Jesus. I see all over the book of Isaiah, Jesus is there. This morning, we are going to uh, take a look, take a, take a look, take a look at another book. Uh, we're going to come out of Isaiah and actually go backwards a little bit to 2 Samuel. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we're going to be, uh, or we're going to be a lot of places, but we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's going to be our, our focus for this morning. And so uh, basically what's happening here uh, is King David they, the people have come into the promised land. Uh, they are there. They have been established. God has delivered them into that place. King David is king at this time. And King David begins to, to think, you know, we've, we've come all this way. And here I am in this castle. But we don't have a place for God to dwell. All right, and so here's, here's what we read in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. We're going to read about half of this chapter this morning. <clears throat> Starting at verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. King David is who it is, by the way. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in the tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. 
But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed to you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So here we have, I'm gonna stop there for now. What we have here is we have, here's, well, I'll stop there. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a look at this passage again, like we've been doing this whole time. First, from a historical perspective, then from a prophetic perspective. What is this passage looking at in the, behind it? What is this passage looking forward to? Here's where we are historically, in terms of Israel, when this is written, right? The Israelites, they've inherited the promised land. We can read about that in the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorite books. You can read about that. They move on to the book of Judges, and this roller coaster starts to happen, right? God, the, the people of God, we have these moments where we see God's faithfulness kind of contrasted with Israel's unfaithfulness. And what happens is, as Israel is unfaithful, God is faithful, God calls someone to go to Israel to bring them out of the sin and out of the unfaithfulness and and back into right relationship with him. They do. Inevitably, they slip back down. That's this roller coaster of Israel. Right? They're doing well. They're not doing well. They're with God. They are falling away from God. And Samuel is the last of these judges. The judges are the prophets who God sends to Israel to kind of call them out. And it's during this time, specifically in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're, uh, we're in 2 Samuel here where we read, but in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel becomes a monarchy for the first time. I, in fact, if you want to go there with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, I, I'll try not to read too much, but here, uh, 1 Samuel 8 chapter 1, when Samuel grew old, he appointed the sons of Israel's leaders. He appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Sorry, that's different. Uh, The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old. (laughs) I love that. You're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. 
Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, that displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. I'll stop there. But Israel becomes a monarchy here for the very first time. They ask for a king. Right, they, so far, the leader of Israel has been God. They've had leaders. Right? Samuel was leading them. They've had some of these judges that have been leading them. Right? They, they, they have other leaders of Israel, Joshua, Moses. They've had leaders, but they haven't had a king and now they're asking for a king. They want to be like every other nation out there who has a king. But Israel doesn't have a king. But so, so they're asking for a king. And Samuel gets kind of upset. And, and God basically says, look, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They've rejected me as their king. In the next chapter, Samuel anoints a man named Saul as king, but it doesn't take long until we jump on that roller coaster again, because just about six chapters later, God's end up, God ends up rejecting him as king. When we begin to read about David, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, just two chapters before what we just read, and David is now, now king. David becomes the king. And we get to our passage. So it's, what's happening at this point, looking from a, from a historical lens, is this. We see God's faithfulness through all of the messes of Israel. We see Israel's unfaithfulness and all of that. But God has brought them into the promised land. He's now given them a king. And what now begins to happen is God begins to establish what, what we know as the kingdom of God. God begins to establish this kingdom, and for the time being, it's an earthly king. It's David, and then it's, and it's uh, his son, and, it's, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And then, as we'll see, it looks forward to something. But we begin to see this. We begin to see the, the kingdom of God kind of come into existence here. Right? So, so now it would be easy to look back on Israel at this point and say... They had everything. <laughs> Why would they want a king? They had the actual presence of God there. The physical presence of God dwelt with them in a tent. Why would they want a king? It's a great question. But you know who, who wasn't surprised by their, their desire for a king? God was not surprised by their desire for a king. In fact, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 17, just listen to, listen to God kind of just calling this out before it even happens. Verse 14 in chapter 7. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. This is Deuteronomy. We're way back from 2 Samuel here. This sounds familiar. Let us set a king over all the nations around, like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. 
taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Here's what God is saying here. God is kind of laying the foundation here for what happens when the people of Israel want a king. And what he says here is this. The person that you should put as king is someone that follows me so closely that it's like you're still following me. That's, what, that's essentially what God is trying to do here. This king that you have in place should be someone who, who follows me so closely, who, who knows this law, who lives out this law. By the law, they mean the first five books of the Old Testament. This, these, these, the, live scripture. Someone who lives this out, the earthly kingdom, needs to reflect the heavenly kingdom. Now, not surprisingly, God is faithful to establish his kingdom. He talks about with David. You get to 1 Chronicles, and David's son Solomon is on the throne now. And listen to what scripture says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting at verse 22. Just a couple verses here. Here's what he says. Then they acknowledged Solomon, the son of David, as the king a second, a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered and all Israel obeyed him. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but I want you to. Whose throne is Solomon sitting on right now? Let's just go back and read this. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He sat on the throne of the Lord as king. Whose throne is it? It's not Solomon's throne. It's not a human throne. This is the throne of the Lord. This is God's throne over his people. Remember, in God's kingdom, God is always the one leading. No matter who the human in charge is, God is always the one in charge. There might be a flesh and blood king, but the throne is still God's, and the earthly kingdom needs to reflect the heavenly kingdom, right? And this is where we are. I mean, why? You keep reading later on in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where we started, uh, and, and actually David responds to what, what Nathan has said to him from God. And here's what he says uh, in verse 22. Uh, How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem himself as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant in this house. Do as you promise, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. What's the why? Why do we need this kingdom? What is the kingdom supposed to represent? The kingdom is there so that people will know that God is God. Your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God. This is the whole purpose of the kingdom of God. The people that are in the kingdom would be able to say, the Lord Almighty, he is God. This is it. This is the purpose of the kingdom. This is the, this is the why, I guess you could say. And so now before we move and look at the prophetic lens, we need to know this. Right? Solomon and David 
were not the only kings. And in fact, there were, there were many kings that came after them. And unfortunately, not all the kings had the same thought process. Not all of the kings wanted to, to build the temple for the Lord. Not all of the kings wanted to do everything that the Lord had called them to do. Not all the kings wanted to follow the lead of God. They wanted to be, they wanted to be their throne. Not the throne of God. They wanted their throne. They wanted their power. They wanted whatever they wanted and unfortunately, what happens is God ends up essentially removing his presence from them, removing himself from their presence. Hey, you want to lead yourself? You go for it. He says this in the book of Hosea, for the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods, Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So what we see here is this kingdom of God being established. God establishes this kingdom through David, through Solomon. He, he establishes this kingdom, his kingdom. But unfortunately, the people in the kingdom don't want to live in the kingdom. So they do their own thing. God pulls himself away. He pulls his presence away from them. The king is gone. The presence of God is not physically with his people again. Here's the question. How does the kingdom of God continue? How can the kingdom of God continue? This question actually paves the way for what this prophet Nathan is speaking towards looking at in the future. What is, what is he prophesying about? This question paves the way for the kingdom of God to no longer be led by just a human king. Right? Humans will always be inadequate to sit on the throne of God. Always. We will always be inadequate, which is what our passage looks forward to. As we leave the Old Testament and come into the New Testament, what we see is God reestablishing his kingdom in a new way. You get to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, in the, sixth months of Eliz- in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Catch that. That's important. A descendant of David. Remember this prophecy, your own flesh and blood, your kingdom will be established forever. He's a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God, I want you to hear this part. Just listen to this piece. If you don't have it highlighted, you don't have it starred, listen to this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want you just to see this. What is God doing here? Remember, God has, has tried, <laughs> he has tried to establish his kingdom through the humans in Israel, through the normal people like David and Solomon and the kings that followed. We've talked about some of those kings when we got to the Elijah series, right? We talked about King Ahaz and some of these really evil kings. Those kings are also in this line. But, but here's, here's what we see. 
when that didn't work, God still had a plan. God said, I will send my son and he will establish this kingdom. This kingdom will be established through Jesus. You get later on in chapter 2 as the, uh, the answer is talking to the shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What does that mean? He is the Messiah. Messiah literally means anointed one. He is the anointed one. He's the one that I have chosen to lead my kingdom. He is the one I have chosen to establish my kingdom forever. And he will sit on this throne forever. Jesus, the coming of Jesus, just solidifies the coming of the kingdom of God. That's, this is what the king, this is what This is what coming Jesus is all about. Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God here on earth. He's he's establishing this new kingdom that no longer relies on on human imperfection to be led. The throne of God is no longer filled with simply a human person. The throne of God, Jesus, sits on the throne of God. God sits on the throne of God. This is what Christmas is. This, is. this is powerful stuff here. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings joy. And he once again establishes the kingdom of God here on earth. And this is powerful stuff because this is what this means. This means that because Jesus came, the kingdom of God has come. Amen. Because Jesus came, the kingdom of God has come. We tend to think of the kingdom of God as some of this, it's out there somewhere. It's out there in the distance. We'll, we'll see it at some point. The kingdom of God is here now. Because Jesus has come. The leader is on the throne. The kingdom of God has been established. It is right now. It's been established from the Old Testament all the way to the New, all the way through today because Jesus has come. Advent reminds us that the kingdom of God has come. But... Just like we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, we, we think of Advent and we look, at, we look back at the first coming of Jesus, we look towards the second coming of Jesus, we also look forward to, to seeing the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is already not yet. That's kind of the, the conundrum. I forget the word. I'm spacing on the word. But it's, this is the dichotomy here maybe that's the word that's not the word either but it's one of those words uh it's yeah the kingdom of god is already but not yet it is already here jesus christ has come he has established the kingdom of god but it is not yet we have not yet seen the fullness of the kingdom of god and we will not see the fullness of the kingdom of god until the second coming of christ when when they come and establish a new heaven and a new earth and all of this happens this is the new kingdom of god but we it, we need to look forward to that fulfillment as well. And we'll be in the presence of God. That's what Advent reminds us of. That the presence of God has come, but we look forward. The kingdom of God has come, but we look forward to the next kingdom as well. Or to the, we look forward to the fullness of the kingdom. Not the next kingdom, not a different kingdom. But the fullness of the kingdom. Amen. So what does this mean? It means that our lives need to reflect the kingdom of God. 
That means that as we live our lives, we need to be usher, helping to usher in the kingdom of God. We need to give our lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We don't just sit and wait until the kingdom of God comes because Jesus has already established it. The kingdom of God has already been established. Jesus has come to earth. And, and just like we talked about before, we, we look forward to the second coming when we see the fullness of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is already here. It is where we live in the everyday. That's just where we are. This is what Advent is. Advent is the celebration of God sending his son. In sending his son, he establishes the kingdom of God. Now, yeah, in sending his son, he also paves the way for us to be with him in this kingdom comes, lives a life that we couldn't live, dies the death that we deserve to die so that we might live with him forever. This is, this is Advent. This is what the coming of Jesus is all about. The kingdom of God is here. Amen. The kingdom of God is here. Amen, amen. and amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we're thankful for all that you do and all that you have done in our lives, God. We are thankful that you have come once again, that you have sent your son, Jesus, and that you have established your kingdom here on earth. God, I'm grateful that we don't, we don't put our hope in human leaders. We don't put our hope in, in anything around us but you. God, would we be in tune with your leadership? Would we be in tune with, with, just, with your kingdom all around us? God, would we live to, to further your kingdom? Would we live to, uh, to make your kingdom known, to make your name known, to make your name great? Just like David says in 2 Samuel after you, teach, after you tell him that his kingdom will be established forever. God, would we see in Advent, as we, as we see your coming, would we just catch glimpses of the kingdom of God all around us this week? And God, as we think about your coming, may we look forward to your second coming as well. God, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as we leave, just, uh, just receive a blessing from God this morning. Just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing. May our God... God of grace, God of truth. I guess we could just go through the candles. God of hope and peace and joy and love. May he go with you and ahead of you this week. Be in your workplaces, be in your homes as you celebrate his coming. May he encourage you and give you the courage to make a difference wherever you may find yourself. Go in the knowledge of the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah. The kingdom of God is here. May you live that kingdom. Go in peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see you all.